Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talking City podcast. Today we're joined by Ian Cheeseman and Simon Baikowski. Hello. Where's Rich? Where's Rich? He, Rich isn't here, unfortunately. He's um. Fortunately, he's got he's got, <laughs> he's got the rest of the year off. I think, hasn't he? He's I think. Well, year, well, basically, I think he he took the door off the room that we're in, yeah. took it off its hinges, carried it away. And it hasn't been seen since. So if yeah. you see anyone trying to flog it on Mancunian Way, yeah. that'll be him. <laughs> um, just, just so, just in case you're wondering if you do hear any background noise of people <laughs> slamming doors, then that is the reason why, because we're currently missing a door. Yeah, but, it's not us dramatically leaving the room. Yeah, no, 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 no. We've literally so. taken the door off the off the joint. <laughs> but um, no, second week in the national break. Only five more days to go. Thankfully, how are we both how are we both handling the national break? Fine. Oh. I had a, I had a lovely few days off last week. It oh, was uh, nice. It was very nice. So you know that's how we how we get round it. But there's been I I, I enjoyed the England game on Sunday. Yeah, it was, it was uh, a very good game of football. Yeah, through to the what was it the semi-finals of the. The, it, the semi-finals and the finals, it's kind of like... I don't understand that. You, Simon, you can explain the, um, that to me because I honestly don't... I don't know if you're familiar know. with the uh, UEFA Youth League, which is a, yeah. an excellent competition, which sort of mirrors the Champions League at under-19 level. But they have like... It follows through and then they have the semi-finals and the final over like three days in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, and this kind of seems to be the same thing where... Um, so there's four teams four groups in the UEFA Nations League England are in one group there's four other groups and the four group winners will now be drawn against each other in a semi-final who are the other three who are they Portugal are definitely three France as well isn't it Uh, either France or the Netherlands Uh, I think if the Netherlands beat Germany then it's them instead of France and Switzerland um, who beat Belgium 5-2 a bit of a surprise that was a very good game as well so uh, they'll go through and play each other we'll play the semi-finals on like June the 5th or June the 6th next year and then the final is on June the 8th and it's all in one place so so, so what, what do you get for winning it? I, I'm not <laughs> I don't in, want to know it. I'm not entirely sure but I don't know if it might be linked to um, Euro 2020 it must be a Whether place you can like get a place at Euro 2020 without having to go through qualifying through so, that. But just one team gets the qualifying place. Well, yeah, just like <laughs> one team gets like the World Cup so or one team yeah, gets... But this is a qualifying tournament, isn't it? No, yeah. it's not. It's um, They will have the like qualifying separately. So, But the winners of this competition will get a little trophy and well done you're through already to the finals of Euro 2020 well I mean don't quote me on that because I just did I'm not I'm not <laughs> fully certain you sounded very confident in what you were saying we believe in every word we you said Simon why wouldn't that. we I am um, I'm frantically googling it now um, but side googles it I mean we've got I mean, not I've got speak to you Ian I mean I've got to mention um, you've got how many City players are in this England team you've got I mean four and you had Fabian Delft captaining it, the England yeah, team yeah. against the USA he doesn't even he's not even a first name on the team chief for City and he's he might be more now that Mendy's injured but mm. uh, no I take your point and I, I've <laughs> always insisted that that the World Cup and the European Nations Cup and this new competition that Simon's Googling at the moment um, are not of a, as high a standard as the football we're watching at the top of the Premier League, top of La Liga, top of Italian, German leagues now. I honestly believe, although you can't do it, that if you picked City, Tottenham, 
Liverpool, all the top sides or whatever, and pitted them against the top world international sides. I think the clubs have beat them. I really do. Um, So the fact that Fabian Delft can get into the England team regularly, and this is no detriment to... Uh, Fabian Delph, but shows that actually the standard is is not as high. It's tougher to get into the City team at the moment. Um, but I think Delph might be become a bit more of a regular. We saw it happen when Mendy was injured last season. It's either going to be him or Zinchenko, you would have thought, unless they shuffle it around and play back three. But I would have thought Fabian Delph would be favourite now, although, ironically for England, he was in midfield when he was captain in the team. Um, so who knows? I know how you mentioned obviously Danilo and uh, sorry you didn't you didn't you didn't mention Danilo but I, I, want, I wanted to mention him. I mean he's I mean every time I've personally seen him play he's always put in a good generally put in a good performance. He he doesn't seem to be in that shout for the left left back position. No, and, and in some of the big games like the trip to Anfield and and even the game against United, uh, I, I was one of those championing Danilo actually playing at, at left back, but it's not happened. So Pep clearly, who's far superior to me at knowing what players can do and what he wants from the team doesn't see that so I'm ruling him out now as a potential left back unless it's an absolute emergency It was funny because when Manchester City signed Danilo last summer it was on the back of not getting Danny Alves um, and that was all a bit of a farce how Alves changed his mind at the 11th hour and 59th minute so when they signed Danilo from Real Madrid and and they made sure to tell us that he's not just a right back he can play right back he can play left back and he can play defensive midfield that Fernandinho role he's multi-talented and um, all he's done is play right well we got to speak to Danilo (laughs) shortly after he joined and he couldn't speak any English at that time but the only English words he said were when he was asked what his best position was and he said right back he knew enough English to say right back and then he played on the pitch and played at left back and you saw why he said right back because he's not really got a left foot um, he's not as comfortable going forward and he certainly can't do the things that, that Mendy does so he's definitely more of a right back than a left back and I think especially now Laporte is kind of left sided uh, you just don't need him yeah, you could imagine Laporte could even fill in the left back if he, if he really Definitely. needed to. I mean, he has actually played at left back a couple of times uh, for parts of games, so he can play there. I'm not sure that's where I'd want him to play, and I think he's far more effective as a centre back. And at the moment, I'd actually argue he's City's best defender and and key defender the way he's playing at centre back. So why would you want to disrupt that and move him to the left hand side? I think Zinchenko's done all right. Fabian Delph has done all right. I still think that Danilo. I accept the weakness on his left-hand side and I wouldn't suggest he should play there in a permanent uh, way but I can see him coming in in specialist situations which is why against Liverpool Salah wanting to cut in He's the most defensively minded isn't he of the options and as a right-footed left-back against Salah Mm -hmm. who wants to play on the right and cut in that would have worked for me but in routine games where you're playing against a right-footed right-sided midfielder then I think I'd prefer to have a left-footed left you know player although ironically of course Fabian Delph is is really predominantly right-footed although he's a bit more two-footed isn't he? Well, he he's very good on his left I'd say yeah, left's his stronger he's... stronger foot yeah yeah I think technically he's right-footed isn't he? Well I mean see you've Both, got so many footed. left-footed very good players yeah I think they had seven in the team for the for the derby yeah you wouldn't pl- even though it's tempting you wouldn't play Edison at left-back would you? 
I mean, he could step up and play left back, but he's, he's not been uh, not been that busy in the goals for for quite some time. Maybe if yeah. five games to go, City have the league wrapped up, they can um, put him in that. Try him out. Well, D- DM will. Yeah, I mean, one of the um, one of the other journalists um, who covers City has often said as a joke that City should tr- try playing without a goalie. You know, they've been so good and so dominant and so much better. And Edison is stood there for 90 minutes looking like a spare part. Just sort of, it might liven up games a bit if um, City didn't have a goalkeeper, just played with a rush. Is that what we've come to? Is that- yeah. <laughs> to be fair, at the end of last season when City was so far ahead, and in fact when they'd won the league, um, there were people suggesting then that Edison should get a game outfield. Pep immediately just put yes. all sorts of oil on that. Oil, that's probably the wrong analogy. But anyway, calmed it right down and said, that ain't happening. I think it was the idea of him taking a penalty as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. said under no circumstances will he be he's, taking a penalty. Pep's, he's, Pep's very quick to keep the players almost level-headed. I mean, you saw against Sterling. I mean, he went straight over to him at the end of that end of the game and against United and said, almost like cut out the the showboat. And it's like it's it's the same thing as that. Yeah, really, isn't yeah. It? He's got you know total respect for other teams and other managers, and you won't hear him criticizing other managers or tell, saying you know how they should set up and play um, because he the last thing he wants is people saying that about him even though they do. So, you know, it's that kind of mutual respect. Mm. Yeah, it's a good word, respect. I like respect. Mm. But, um, controversial. Well, what's controversial about that? <laughs> well, exactly. Everyone <laughs> likes respect, you would like to think. Yeah, you know what, though? There isn't enough of it in this world. No, no. He says respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should move on to this. Can, can, I mean, can we move on to the Nations League? Can we move back to oh, that quickly? Have you, you, you done your research? You yeah, yeah, I've Do done my know? research and uh, I was fundamentally wrong. Hit us with your um, wisdom. So Shock what does the winner get? This is on UEFA's website. Money. First and foremost, this fetching 71 centimetre tall sterling silver trophy. Wow. So we class it... So is this like... I mean, I'm trying to envisage how big this competition is to win. I mean, you, probably won't know until a few years' time. It's, it's not linked to Euro qualifying. At all? Well, the the verbatim is not really. If you can understand this, the last four Euro 2020 places go to the winners of mini-tournament between the top four ranked teams in each of the four UEFA Nations League groupings. But this is separate to the UEFA Nations League finals. So, so how often is this competition? <laughs> that says it Giving all, us a it? grill in here. <laughs> um, I thought it was every once every two years. I feel like you. I feel like what UEFA should have done is really just roll out so many advertisements before this competition started, highlighting what the competition's about. Yeah, and everything about it's it. Been very, it's been very, it's been very exciting though. Yeah, it has like been, the Eng- yeah. It was really exciting. It felt like a knockout game. England going down one 0 They've got two minutes to. They've got fifteen minutes to get two goals, or they're they're out. If they won yesterday, they went through to the finals. If they lost, they were relegated. You, you could tell by the players' reactions at the end of the game. Yeah, like, yeah, it, and it, it meant something. And I think you know, as much as a. The Nations League may or may not be important, but I think it was a watershed moment when England outplayed Spain and beat them in the league and Sterling got his two goals. And I think yesterday was important, having lost to Croatia in the fashion they did in the World Cup. And then, you know, you get this chance to 
to get your revenge, really. And top marks are the Wembley PA for playing football's coming home immediately after yeah. the the, uh, the final whistle. Um, but I think, you know, players can take a lot from those performances and results, even if fundamentally England won't be sort of going cock-a-hoop that if they win the Nations League. Hmm. You're, not, got, you're not I've, impressed, Ian, you're not... I've, I've got to say that I didn't deliberately not watch it. However, yeah. I'd forgotten it was happening, assumed yeah. it was on a different day, and was wandering around Manchester's Christmas markets while that game was happening. So it's only afterwards <laughs> that I've even found out what had happened. Um, so... I can't really contribute an awful lot of meaningful debate on this, except what, what I'm delighted f- to see so many city players play. What was your favourite bit of the the Christmas market? Yeah, what did you eat? Tell us, if, tell if the we, people. Uh, uh, well, I had a bratwurst. You've got to have a bratwurst, haven't you? Um, we don't have to. No, but at £4.50, I then decided to let my family enjoy the glue vine and the chocolate, mm-hmm. and I and I just sat and watched them, basically. Did you try the cookie dough? <laughs> More importantly. No, I didn't. I just stuck uh, with one bratwurst. Okay, okay. £4.50 co- bankrupted me. At that. <laughs> <laughs> the cookie dough was fantastic, I must say. Oh, is it? If, if, any, if any of the listeners are <laughs> heading to the Christmas market to try the cookie dough, you won't be disappointed. Excellent. £4.50 as well. Right. Is that there you go. the stock one price? £1.79 yeah. for six in uh, in Lidl. Other shops <laughs> are available for Bratwurst. So um, I'd recommend that. Yeah. But, well, you you missed out on a fantastic game. Watch it on catch-up. Yeah. Well, as I said, I didn't do it deliberately. Yeah. I genuinely thought the game was probably tonight no. for some reason. But I think it's, um, you know, no one likes the international breaks if you sort of really keen to see your team in action but um, I think the Nations League is kind of more exciting than than friendlies. Well what I would say and I know this is a City podcast is that during the last week while the international break's on I went and watched Berry on Tuesday night in the Checker Trade Trophy and I thought they played superb football won that game and it was very much along the lines of the way Pep's team sets up, playing out from the back, passing around which was really enjoyable to watch. I've watched a lot of Berry, Rochdale, Oldham and all the rest of it, these lower league Greater Manchester teams down the years and I've never seen football played quite that well at that level for a long long time and can't help thinking that's the pep effect and then I went to Boundary Park and watched Oldham come back from a goal down and win 3-1 on Saturday uh, and I thought that, that performance was not quite the way that Berry played but very good as well so I'd recommend personally get out and see a local team um, if City aren't playing go and watch one of the local teams whether it's one of the league teams non-league or whatever so there you go that's my campaign that's watch watch the other teams as well Ian Cheeseman's two cents on it right there yeah <laughs> I, I was also struck after the England game by um Gary Neville's comments about the goal England conceded and he was sort of saying John Stones is on the front foot which means that the defender goes in behind him but he said but John Stones is doing what England defenders haven't done enough of for the last 25-30 years you've got to be on the front foot and anticipating and yeah you might get the odd mistake but it's worth it to be that aggressive and get the benefits for the team. And I just thought we've had two years of people ripping into stones really and say, Oh, put it into Rose Ed and you should be a proper English defender loving tackles. And finally people are kind of warming to the idea that actually stones might have something about him that Pep saw yonks ago. He's had a huge influence on England, hasn't he Pep? I mean, in terms of, I mean, you look at what he's done with stones and Sterling. I mean, before, I mean, during the time that he signed, I mean, Stones 
a lot of people thought he was a bit of a liability on like you'd give the ball away and try to maybe do turn turn inside with the, in the defensive position and Sterling wasn't really looking like he was really going anywhere but it is isn't the key to all Pep this you're difference. right in what you're saying isn't the key to all this that you've either got to buy in completely collectively the whole 11 has to play with the same philosophy so if Stones is going to play on the front foot then so too has Laporte so too have yeah. everybody in that team and if you only have one of those players playing in that way then that can be isolating now, Stones, as an out-and-out old-fashioned defender, is vulnerable. I, I still think that, even in this City team. And there'll be people listening to me thinking, how can you say that when City have got the best record in the Premier League defensively? Well, the reason they've got the best defensive record is because of the way they play collectively, that they are on the front foot, that they are pressing, that the number of champ. The reason Edison... You see, you could look at Edison and say, how can he be the best goalkeeper in, in the Premier League? He hardly has a, ever makes a save but somebody said to me the other day if you had the choice between Edison and De Gea who is recognised as the best goalkeeper by many people anyway in Europe or indeed the world at the moment who would you choose well in the City way of playing it has to be Edison in the City way of playing it has to be Stones in the you know so you have but you have to have it collective so if Stones is playing an England team that still has remnants of looking back and playing in the old way then Stones can be exposed then it might not work if Stones is playing in a defence and not just a defence you can't isolate it like that but in a whole team that is playing in a certain way then he will be a star and he will be superb and it works perfectly for City and hopefully from what you're saying it's starting to happen now for England yeah yeah and uh, to, to support that go and watch Croatia highlights of them beating Spain as well because David De Gea Phenomenal keeper for United with a deep defence who protects him. Anything that gets past the defence, he can save. He let in three goals for Spain against Croatia because he's got a high, higher line and he's not as comfortable passing the ball. And because he's got a higher line, him not coming off his line then comes more into effect in Croatia. I think that two of the three goals were inside the six-yard box because, you know, they're not working as a whole because De Gea's style is not as sort of as in sync with Spain style whereas if you put Edison in that team I think they'd be very good but if you put Edison in the United team maybe not it almost feels like a switch has been flicked on England hasn't it in the last yeah last couple of and, years. and credit like... Gareth Southgate for that mm. very much um, but also I think it's not too long ago it's only two or three years maybe um, that City didn't really have an English identity would you agree yeah agree with that I mean you know they were scrabbling around to try and fill the homegrown quotas and players like Gal Cleese were and Bakary Sanya were filling those spaces and you didn't really feel like there was an English flavour to City whereas now they've got Walker Sterling Stones are three of the first team 11 at all times and Delph showing his his worth again Foden's coming through so Guardiola's really kind of brought that that English with, with the potential identity of, in with the potential of an, another one as well in Jadon Sancho I mean he's um, with this I mean you've heard of the rule this Brexit rule apparently that could come in next year that will limit English sides to 12 I think it's 12 
foreign players in the squad so it would yeah. mean you would need at least 12 12 English players in the, the team the 25 man Premier League squads yeah it's worth saying though that when you say 12 English players mm-hmm. Simon's just used the example of Gail Clichy who under this rule would be an English player yeah homegrown players but I think there's a time limit on that because um it works because English clubs have been able to sign foreign players at the age of 16, whereas under the new rules, they wouldn't be able to sign them until they were 18. So there's sort of a, a shelf life of only so many players, sort of older players that would count as homegrown as foreign so players. So eventually that would fade yeah. out as well. Yeah. Do you, think, do you think that rule could ever tempt City even more further to bring Jadon Sancho back to the club? Do you Possibly. think... Do you, do you think... <laughs> I mean, do you think Jane Sancho... I mean, you hear about him all the time now. I mean, do you think he will one day come back to City? I still think it's too early to make this judgment. I mean, the hype around him at the moment, which is, I suppose, understandable because he's suddenly started playing for England, it, it is too high. The fact is that if Phil Foden had gone to play at Borussia Dortmund, he'd probably played six games by now and he'd probably... Um, be starting for England as well. It's it's all about the fact that um, Sancho has gone somewhere outside of City. Now, there will be City fans who are crying out for Foden or Diaz or might have been shouting out for Jadon Sancho to have been playing in the team. Well, why aren't they playing the team? Get them in the team. But then you've got to say who, who, who comes out. You know, yes, they're going to be playing a lot of games coming up now. It'll be two games a week all the way through December and probably most of January as well. But even then, you know, are you you seriously suggesting that you're leaving David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, Sterling, Sane? Are you going to be leaving some of these players out to, to give them a game? If the answer to that is yes then you at least are being consistent in what you're asking for. But if the answer to that is no, how do you get them in? And with the greatest respect, Borussia Dortmund or other clubs of that ilk in Europe don't are not as good as City and not as high a standard. So it's you can break into those. And Leroy Sane is a great example of that. If Leroy Sane had been coming through City's system, I'm not sure he would be where he is now in his career yet. He would still be possibly on the fringes, where he's now seen as a you know proper first choice City player. Maybe not every week, but he is a first choice City player. So ironically, he played for Schalke against City at under eighteen, under nineteen level, whatever it was. I remember watching him in the game. I think it was at UA for Youth League. Was it in the UEFA mm-hmm. Youth League? I think it might have been at Hyde, but anyway, wherever it was, he played, he stood out, he was the outstanding player in their team. You could see the potential, but I've also watched City's UEFA Youth League, EDS, youth team, whatever, and seen Sancho be outstanding at that level. Mm-hmm. To see Foden and Diaz be outstanding at that level, and in fact, other players as well, but they haven't been good enough yet to be consistently in City's team. That is the dilemma, isn't it? I think the, the counter-argument would obviously be, I mean, you look at Fernandinho, you look at David Silva and Aguero, they're all in the th- they're all in the 30s now, approaching maybe even mid-30s. Correct. How so, many of them are in Sancho's position? Correct. That, well, that, 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 <laughs> that, that, that is true, but I mean, in terms of, if you want to make the full forward comparison to David Silva, then you, yeah. you could use that. Yeah, but, yeah. But I mean, if you're looking at, if you're looking at, from that perspective, you could always say that if City ever thought about changing the model and going towards maybe younger players, I mean, 
I don't know. I don't know what, what you well, think. Well, the English but players model changing that, which is where you started with this question. It, that's the key bit, isn't it? If if this is this rule's going to come in, if this is going to happen post Brexit, then City are going to have to rethink a little, and and presumably they have a first option on on Jadon Sancho. Mm-hmm. There's obviously been a lot of stuff on social media of of people saying, "Oh, United should be signing him to you know to to we on City's parade," you know. Um, well, if City have got first option, then they've got first option. But they will have to seriously think about that. The question about Sancho is, is he as good as the hype suggests? Will he develop into the player that, that you want? That that bit's the bit nobody can really answer, isn't it? No, and uh, and Pep was asked, you know, about whether they would take him back and raise the very good point of, well, he chose to leave us, so would he want to come back? Um, which has to be taken into account even though City may have first option on him I think you know Sancho has decided with City's plans in front of him that if he wants first team football he's going to have to leave Uh, and that's what he did and you know it's become more of a thing you've got Reese Nelson at Hoffenheim and these players in the England youth setup, they speak to each other and they talk about other opportunities and other England youth players will see Sancho and Nelson doing well and think, maybe that's for me, maybe that's what I want rather than um, being in, in an English academy. But at the end of the day, Sancho's had this put in front of him and he's made a decision. If in five years' time or two years' time or tomorrow he has another situation put in front of him and says, you know, this is a situation at City, they're interested in you, do you want to come back? He'll make a decision, yes or no. But I think he's smart enough to to work out what's best for him. I think there's a little bit of bitterness, you know, because of the manner of Sancho's departure as well. Because I don't think City were happy at the time with the way that no. his agent or he conducted themselves. So that And they weren't happy with how City conducted themselves. Well, absolutely. So it That's works I mean. both ways. So, yeah, I wasn't signing with one, but I'm yeah. saying there was a, a little bit of a bitter split, shall we yeah. say. And, and is that repairable? But, uh, yeah, time is a healer, isn't it? It, it can always patch up. I mean, you look at that. I mean, didn't Paul Pogba's agent fall out with United as well? And yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we sound yeah. down the line as well. Guardiola kind of hinted that it it might have to be under a new manager that Sancho returns. So there's uh, there might be some bad blood. Well, that says a lot, then, doesn't it? There, but um, I think whatever happens, you, it's not the last time. We'll, I mean, we will. Yeah, we, you do get the feeling we'll we will see Jadon Sancho will come back to England. He will play. I think in the so, Premier yeah. League at some stage yeah. in his career. He's only what, yeah. eight, 19, yeah. 19 So, but, but Guardiola's big enough to admit when he's made mistakes and if Sancho's big enough to do the same then there's no reason he can't come back to City but yeah I think he'll come back to the the Premier League at some point Mm. and also on internationals other international games Bernardo Silva I mean he he went he was I read earlier on the MEN that he picked up a knock in was it training or was it in a match yeah we've got to be careful about these because we don't know too much yet keep being precautionary and then turning into much bigger like with Mendy Um, but but Portugal have sent Bernardo Silva home basically they've got a pretty meaningless um, UEFA Nations League game because they've already qualified for the semi-finals so Mm. they're not they're not taking a chance so he's being sent back to Manchester um, to be assessed so obviously it does raise doubts about whether he'll be fit for the weekend but we don't know any more currently well to me he's been City's best player of the season so that yeah. would be a big worry yeah but maybe a chance to get Phil Foden in or Gundogan 
Absolutely. Your list is endless of players. You could just wall them off. Or Delph. Yeah. And KDB might be back sooner than people think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we don't, don't know what the latest for West Ham, but is. Yeah, yeah. It's probably unlikely, but the way they've been talking, don't rule it out. Certainly, maybe he could be on the bench or something, but we don't know at this stage, do we? No. We'll I, find out near the week. I think he was hoping for the beginning of December. Mm. So it might be a bit early for him, but yeah. you never know. Speaking of West Ham, they've got a reunion on their hands this weekend. Pablo Zabaleta and Manuel Pellegrini. What Seeing your- Pablo is always a joy. I mean, he was at the derby. He, he absolutely wears his City fandom these days on his on his chest. You know, I mean, he, there's no doubt that he's a blue and always will be a blue. And he is adored, loved. In, you know, and then is regarded as a legend by City fans. Uh, everybody expects at some point him to come back to the club and work in some role, whether that's on the coaching side, whether it's ambassadorial or whatever. Um, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and for him to play against City must be a very strange feeling, given those emotions that he has. But being the professional that he is as well, I'm sure he would absolutely give his all to, to West Ham United this weekend. Um, but City are, are playing so well at the moment that it's hard to see past another Blues victory, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It, I mean, he's, it was great to see him at the Derby in Manchester because, you know, it, when he was when he left City, he got a great send-off and they gave him this season ticket for life, didn't they? Which hmm. isn't actually a physical card, is it? But it's just, you know, oh, come, seat. come when you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he... he I don't want to say he wasn't the best because at his peak he was one of the best fullbacks in the league but he wasn't you know the later years caught up with him didn't they and by the end it was clear that he wasn't good enough for what Guardiola wanted of his fullbacks um but he always just gave 1010% and it was you know you just easy to see why so many people fell in love with him very very good player I'd say not not absolutely at that level yeah. that City you're aiming at now but his attitude I mean remember speaking to him very early on in his tenure at City and he he was determined to learn English which he did and obviously um, this is again not having a go at anybody but David Silva Sergio Aguero haven't really embraced that in the way that yeah. uh, Pablo did and uh, and that that's endeared him to people as well um and obviously the other thing is that uh, a Premier League winning manager who is probably the most overlooked in recent years um, uh, in Manuel Pellegrini is the manager of West Ham United. I mean, when, when people look back at City from from in the future, they're all going to remember Mancini winning the first Premier League. They're all going to remember the pet years and whatever comes after it, probably. I wonder if he's going to be Manuel Pellegrini, a little bit of the forgotten man. Do you think he might be a pointless answer on yeah. future <laughs> game shows? It's a, str- it's a strange one with yeah. Pellegrini because he was, he's almost lodged in between two periods of success where you had Mancini winning the FA, was the FA Cup in 2011 and the league again in, in 20, 2012. Then Pellegrini's somewhat in the middle and it's like... He's like a caretaker, wasn't he? Yeah. He felt like a caretaker. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, you the know... The stopgap and Ma- the pep. Mancini and his yeah. reign was so iconic and that unforgettable first title. And then you've got what Guardiola brings you. And as well, I think City was trying to sort of 
lose themselves from the headlines a bit. I mean, it all fell apart under Mancini and when Pellegrini was appointed, there was talk of this holistic feel within the club and getting away from sort of sensational training ground fights. So that his sort of, he was brought in because of his calming nature and and things like that. But that, that first season, the football was absolutely sensational. Yeah. He improved it from Mancini. I mean, Mancini was, um, you know, effective because he obviously won the league and did great things. But you're right, and there was a lot of talk behind the scenes of rifts and everything. And I think Pellegrini was the peacemaker and, you know, he was a diplomat. And I think it's unfair now to judge him and, and say that he didn't have, you know, he didn't have much to do or he wasn't very good. He won the league title uh, with a team that had probably a few little issues towards the end of the time under Mancini you know there was a little danger that it could fall apart and he came in and steadied the ship he's gone into West Ham who were a a club in turmoil it seems off the field with the move to uh, the new stadium and um, the unhappiness that that seems to have brought and the high expectation level that there is at West Ham the increased numbers of crowds I mean they're getting 60,000 crowds and they're coming from all over the place to watch West Ham they're perhaps not the all the diehards that were once at Upton Park but now suddenly everybody expects West Ham to, to be much bigger and more successful than they are being and they're looking at every manager that comes in the latest one being Pellegrini and putting him under such scrutiny when Actually, yes, Pellegrini inherited a team that was that was quite good to begin with, but it was also supported very well internally in terms of what he wanted to do. And the job he's got at West Ham is enormous. It's enormous. Um, and it, he's had little phases, hasn't he? A little unsteady at the beginning, then a consistent phase in the middle, and he's going through another tricky patch at the moment. But you can't help but like the fella, can you? And if you've ever sat in the room, <laughs> Not if you've been in a press conference. No. <laughs> well, are you... You're talking about whether he's giving you a line you're looking at it from a no, no just any sign of life it was I mean he, he had to announce his own departure from the club because it was uh, you know it there'd been speculation about Guardiola for weeks week. and months and years and then the one press conference he wasn't asked was the one that he was dying for someone to ask him so he had to oh by the way excuse me before you all leave um I'm off and and even that was completely jumbled it was like oh I initially signed a bigger contract but now I'll be going back to the original contract and and so that's what's happening and you, what what's going on it was just very <laughs> hard to understand that was the only press conference I missed last year <laughs> <laughs> but I mean no you you sort of you got the impression with Pellegrini that he didn't do that much with the team not in necessarily a negative way because you have managers like Carlo Ancelotti and Zinedine Zidane who are more sort of you know they care for the players and they make sure that everything's going on fine and then they let those players go out and perform on the pitch as they would which is fine if you've got the players and obviously City fired up after Mancini's last season and brilliant football won the league but then it all went a bit flat and the issue then became if you're if you're not that sort of fired up character um, have you got the response to to do something and it can't have been easy for him when it was pretty clear that City were lining up Guardiola so by, by then, though, the influence of Cheeky Begeristein and you can't help thinking that that there was 
at least an indirect influence from Pep coming in terms of the types of players, at least, that they might yeah, be going for. Yeah, yeah. So, there were, so he, he, that's why I describe him as a caretaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But he didn't have the sort of the personality to be anything more than that because he wasn't interested in speaking to to the media or to the fans really I know we say that you know speak speak in press conferences and do in you know he didn't do any sit down interviews which Pep doesn't do either but you know that he could have embraced Manchester life and Manchester City more than more than he did maybe that's that's where he's slightly going wrong at West Ham and that this sort of laid back approach isn't maybe what West Ham need well I think they lost they lost the first four or five games and then there was a story about he had an international break and there were two West Ham players on international duty but Pellegrini went back to Chile for two weeks just you know saw it as a holiday for himself and th- this was outlandish and then they came back and had a really good run result so <laughs> maybe they just the trick. yeah yeah needed a bit of respite but West Ham's a tough job as you were saying it's a bit like Everton and Newcastle it's these mm. fan bases that have had success historically mm. and you know, there's the West Ham way, which Pellegrini played entertaining football wherever he's gone. So he might get it back. But like at Everton, you've got the School of Science. There's this demand for not just results, but also performances. And it's hard for any club to, to match that. But harder and harder when you've got the big team spending the money they are. It should it should never be forgotten. I think he did handle. I think he handled handled himself with class. Really, I mean, every single week being asked about Pep coming in, Pep coming in, it does kind of makes you sitting there thinking, I'm just like a I'm like a stopgap at the club at the moment. But you should never forget that in that 2014 season, I think City won the league and League Cup. Yeah, and that's the same as if you take the records away. That obviously Pep broke last year. Yeah, it's the same season right. in terms of silverware. Yeah, that, yeah, that they both won, and, and they think, both hit hundred goals as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, but that should, season is is remembered for for Liverpool because they've got a bigger fan base. I think there were like eighteen books written about Liverpool coming second, <laughs> and one written about City winning the title in spectacular fashion because it was all the you know the resurgent Liverpool until. It all went wrong for them. Till uh, Mr. Uh, Gerard stepped in. Well, didn't step in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that Palace, when they were going for 10-0 and blew it. Yeah. So, you know, you've got that that takes away from his achievement as well because people remember more about the, the teams that didn't win the league than the one that did. It was interesting you said the 10-0 there because when it was 3-0, it was, I think it was 3-0 within it half was th- an hour, you were sitting thinking it could actually possibly happen. Well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but the meltdown. Yeah, well, uh, J- Jurgen Klopp was asked ahead of the Fulham game, will you be looking to use this game to improve your goal difference against City? And he, you know, said, what a stupid question and... It's disrespectful to yeah. treat teams as if you're going to be using them for goal difference. And City don't do it. They just, you know, relentlessly attack. And that's how they, they build up the goal difference. But I think if you, you know, if, if you say, oh, we're 3-0 up, let's try and get 10. You kind of deserve everything that's coming to you if you slip up. Well said, Simon. I, 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 very well said. <laughs> I think whatever happens, I think... Uh, 
when West Ham do come to the Etihad later in the season, like you will get a good reception from the City fans. Yeah, I Halloween. hope so because uh, you know he was what was that uh, Pope that banner? This charming man. This charming man. Mm. That's it. Yeah, that's which so. is from a Morrissey song, I think, isn't it? You know, I hope that that flag is there again. I hope that the eighteen ninety four group who do these mosaics and flags and everything do something like that for him. And the the trouble is, he might get overshadowed by Pablo Zabaleta that day because <laughs> there'll be so much love for him as well. Won't yeah, I? well, don't yeah. forget Manuel Pellegrini. I'm no. sure he'll get his moment. Oh yeah, yeah, he did. He did a, a lot of good, and in not always ideal circumstances. Mm. So just to round up, I know it's a bit early in the week, but let's get some early predictions for this weekend because the Premier League is back. So I'll start with you. I'll, I'll predict it's going to rain. Um, yeah. Always does in London when I go down there, <laughs> and uh, but I, that's as far as I'm going to go in terms of predictions. I, th- I think anybody that bets against City to win that game is um, is a brave man because having won the last game, obviously against United and been in this fantastic run of free score and everything, um, obviously if. if Bernardo Silva's not available for that game then that is a slight concern but I believe City will, will go there and win but predicting it not doing that more, more, leave that to Simon more than three or less than three I'll leave that to Simon <laughs> <laughs> three what corners <laughs> City have always played tremendous football at the London Stadium your last prediction was right if I remember against City against United so 3-1 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. correct yeah, gonna, come on what are we going for this week let's get streak going well I, I won't give a score, but what I will say is that um, whenever I've seen them at this new stadium, they've been terrific. And I think City must be the worst team West Ham can face in that stadium because it's not always great in there. It's hard to get an atmosphere going. And if you're the players, you're not going to get an atmosphere going if you're seeing 25% of the ball and not getting a chance at goal. In the past, City have gone there and just blitzed them, just scored few goals before half time and not given you know put West Ham out of the game before they've even had a chance to get in it and you can see the same happening again with the form City are in that's very well said again there's a lot of respect score. going on in there, this podcast there was, there was no uh, there was no score there was no scoreline prediction which was a bit disappointing uh, uh, you're going to go on for, go on you give us a scoreline oh. prediction I'm going to go 4-0 Oh, I fancy City two. I fancy West Ham two score. I would probably go four one, four one or five one. If I'm, if I have to be honest, and that's not just because I'm on a talk a City podcast. That's it. City are for me the best team in the league. And it's I amazing how many supporters I talk to at the moment who always go four nil, five nil, and I and every time they say it, I think, what? Why are you saying that? I know that City are playing very well, but you can't come to expect that, surely. So I'm not going to to West Ham expecting that these score lines. I'm certainly confident they'll win, and that'll do for me. Well, that's that's the <laughs> that's, that's, talking about bottling. That's um, that's a great attitude for a sport of a of a of a big club now to just think, yeah, I think we'll win, but I'm not going to say it by four or five. No, that's, but it, it, it's a good point because it's like you know the. The atmosphere at the Etihad in the last two games has been brilliant. The fans really turned up in the Champions League game and sang, you know, didn't wait for the team to do something. And again, the derby was really good. And I think, you know, there's a danger with the type of football City play and the score lines they're getting that you can just turn up to a game and as a supporter and sit back and think, right, entertain me. Mm. Come on and get, you know, a bit anxious when 
City aren't five nil up within thirty minutes. You know, I think um, Goodison Park is somewhere where occasionally the home fans are getting a bit restless very early on against um, against teams. You sort of think, just give it give it a bit more time. Um, but yeah, you can't be turning up expecting to uh, to thump teams every week. No. I'm, I certainly don't. <laughs> but, if, but, if you, but if you're asking me my prediction, I think they will beat West Ham comfortably. Thump them. Yeah, I think they will. More than three. You, you heard it. We'll get, we'll get I've just said 4-0. That far, yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah. 4-0, that is. That's a fair prediction, 4-0, 4-1. You did, hopefully not hopefully win. <laughs> That's when you know you supported City a long, long time. Um, right, thank you very much for joining us, guys. It's um, always a pleasure. Um, thank you. We'll, um, we'll hopefully have the next podcast this time next week. Yeah, I'm, when uh, I'm, 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 as I was speaking, I'm making arrangements with Simon and Stuart to meet them, uh, and I dare I say, in the hotel room to record Ooh. a podcast next Monday. I should say we're in Leon. We're not just oh. in a hotel for, uh, <laughs> for, for any old reason. We'll, we'll, when Rich is back, we'll have him here. Yeah. And we'll maybe have some sort of setup with where we have you plugged in maybe by phone or yeah. you could even yeah, maybe, record your yeah. own clips. We'll and have send our them sort over. of garlic round our neck and <laughs> cheese in the hotel room. You, you can all sit on the table like this in the hotel and have one phone on the table with a speaker on. Yeah. That could that could work as well. What, whatever. We'll do whatever we're asked to do. <laughs> That's the spirit. In the name of the podcast. Rich is off for the rest of the year. He has. Well, he might have flogged the door by then. Yeah. He's coming back once he's got money That's for that. True. I actually think he is off for the rest of the year. I'm going to... I'll so, chase, I'll drop my line after this and let us find out. If you've seen Rich, do let us know. If you've seen <laughs> him out and about, do let us know and let us know if he's coming back because it's anyone's guess. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to Wrexham, which I know is where his footballing love is in a couple of weeks, so I'll look for him there. Yes. Hopefully we'll... We'll, we'll find his whereabouts. <laughs> Hashtag where's rich. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't already subscribed to us on Acast and Apple Podcasts, be sure to do so. We will have your podcast delivered straight into your notifications when it is published. Thank you for joining us. See you next week.